the Sunday Sermons Podcast. If you would, uh, go ahead and sit back down again. And we're going to wrap up this morning with a series called 316. Been walking through a bunch of different foundational scriptures, uh, many of which we chose intentionally to be at chapter 3, verse 16, with the dream that somehow you're going to be able to remember this. You're going to be able to share that. And if you can't remember all the scriptures, you can't remember where to find them, you can just kind of randomly guess and try chapter 3, verse 16, and you'd go somewhere. Another great uh, memory device that we use actually with the kids this week at BBS, and, and I've used it many times before, is the kingdom witness symbols. I'll show you. Uh, if, could we go ahead and skip one slide and, and show that, and then we'll come back to the other thing. But this tells the story so well of, of Jesus in such a simple way. He came, he died, he rose, he ascended, he's coming back. If you can remember those things, remember how to draw those, you can share the gospel with somebody. It's such a big deal. We'll come back to that in a second. But what we're going to really do now is start where we're starting today, and that's to start with grace. Because Jesus coming to us, it was not because we deserved it. And grace never depends on whether somebody deserves something or whether we think they deserve something. Grace is offered, period. Grace is offered just because. Jesus loved us, and that's why he, uh, he came. God loved us. That's why he sent his son. And when we extend the same kind of grace that Jesus extends to us, that's what happens with us. We extend that grace to other people in the same way. It's not about that we think they deserve it or that they don't. It's, that's not part of the equation. We extend grace because that's what God did for us. That's what we do for others. That's who we are. That's what we do. If you would, would you say John 3.16 with me this morning? Uh, John 3.16 is uh, very familiar. I'd say most of you probably have it memorized in some version, but we're going to all read it together. Uh, uh, This is the ESV, by the way, uh, just so that we're all saying the same words at the same time. So here we go. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And if you were to also read out loud this next one, this is actually where the outline for today comes. This is in a 316, but it it summarizes everything we're trying to explore today so well. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and in love. I'd like you to try one more mnemonic device, one more way to remember stuff easy. I'm going to overload you here at the beginning, but I think by the end of today, you're actually going to be able to remember this. That's the goal. That's the dream. Okay? So one, two, three, four, five. Let's say these words together. Grace, mercy, peace, truth, love. And by the way, if you're following along in the Bible study that accompanies this, I just gave you all the answers at once. Yeah, that's where it is. And then we're also going to do that. But let's try it one more time. With, try, try it with your hands. I know, I know it's kind of weird, but this will help you remember, I believe. So let's try it one more time. Grace, mercy, peace, truth, love. Paul outlines how we live this lifestyle so perfectly as he retells Jesus' story with kind of a poem in Philippians 2. Excuse me. And again, this is one that I know I have memorized it and quoted a lot. You guys probably have too at some point or at least parts, but I'm going to read it out of the SV so that we can just make sure we're all on the same page and go slowly and really, really marinate in this truth. So if there is any encouragement in Christ... 
any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord and of one mind. Is it just me or does that sound a little bit unrealistic to be of one mind? Have you ever been in one mind with anybody, especially in a tight relationship? You're never going to be the same. You're never going to be identical. And that's part of God's beautiful design. Us bringing all kinds of different things to the table is part of what he had. How many here like to cook? Awesome. Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. If you put like meat and beans and spices and a whole bunch of other things together, they don't all taste at all the same. But eventually you put them in there and you let them simmer for a real long time. You get chili. Do you know what I'm talking about? And it's a whole new thing. And the whole thing tastes like chili. And the same thing if you make any, a tossed salad, you make an omelet, whatever it is. All the different ingredients taste different, but you put them all together and you're going in the same direction together and this whole new thing happens. That's what this looks like when we have the same mind and the same love from God. It's not that we all think exactly the same, but we think the same way. Little by little, we, we start to share the same perspective that Jesus has and that Jesus offers to us. We think differently than the rest of the world. We think much more like other Christians. Is this making sense? It's not that we think exactly the same or that we love exactly the same, but we're going the same direction together. As James says in James 3.16, there's one of those verses we looked at not too long ago, where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Jealousy and selfish ambition is the antithesis. It's the opposite of the lifestyle that God has called us to live. The righteous life, the good life, the loving life that Jesus died and rose and ascended, put us in charge for a while and has come back. His whole thing is the opposite of jealousy and selfish ambition. It's all about, let's try it one more time, ready? Grace, mercy, peace, truth, love. Let's keep going in Philippians. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Or conceit. But in humility, excuse me, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Such a powerful idea. It's so important that we understand it the way it's actually written here. Because a lot of times when we think of humility, we think about either really believing that we're just scum and terrible people, or we, we believe that we're kind of pretending that we are so we can be nicer to everybody else. And neither one of those is biblical humility. The idea here is not about us at all, just like all the rest of the stuff in this equation. It's not about how good or bad you are. It's on a daily basis, you're just choosing to put others first. That's what this is talking about. When you count others more significant than yourself, you're you're just saying, hey, in this equation, I'm going to put this other person first. It has nothing to do with what you think you are worth or what you think they are worth. It's what you think Jesus is worth, and Jesus loves like that, so we do too. That's true biblical humility. Paul goes on, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, 
but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Just that last little bit is so huge. Now, not just the amazing story of Jesus' love, the example that he, he asks us to follow, that he commands us to follow. But also this idea, there's so much depth in here. We just don't have time to go into it. But the whole idea of him being uh, high above authority, above all the powers above, all the powers below, there's just so much crazy good stuff in there, but we don't have time to go there. Basically, he's the ultimate authority, period. Can we just say that this morning? But as the ultimate authority, watch, watch what he did. He offered grace. Not because we were better, not because we deserved it, not because he was some sort of a scumbag and he deserved to die and we deserved to live. That's the opposite of what's true. It was because that's what he does. He offers grace and he calls us to do the same. So we start with grace. And the second thing we're looking at that we see we have to do as Christians. This is who we are. This is what defines us is we share God's mercy. We say the word share because we've received mercy and therefore we pass it on. We share what we've been given. But the thing about mercy is it's offering forgiveness for a reason. In the scriptures, when God offers us Forgiveness, it's, it's not in a selfish way. It, we would normally, in the selfish version of quote-unquote forgiveness is we'd say, I, I'm forgiven you, but there's strings attached. You know what I'm talking about? And this sounds a little bit like that, but please don't hear that because it's different. But God forgives us with hope. He forgives us with intention. He forgives us strategically. He doesn't just forgive us so that, okay, now we don't have to pay for our sins. He forgives us hoping and praying. Well, he's not praying, I guess. We're hoping and praying. He forgives us, hoping that we'll change. He forgives us, believing that we're going to be restored. That if we're forgiven, he gives us another chance, maybe a couple more chances. On the other side of that, we're going to be more like Jesus. We might actually get it right one day. And when we extend that kind of mercy to others, the same kind of mercy we've been given, it's, it's, we're respecting other people. We're hoping and praying that they are going to be restored. They're going to end up more like Jesus too. When we forgive, we're hoping that that relationship will get restored. That marriage, that friendship, that whatever it is, it, it, there, there's somehow something on the other side of this forgiveness, of this mercy it's going to be better. There's, there's hope involved. And that's the kind of mercy, that's the kind of forgiveness that Jesus gives us. And that's the kind that we're called to, to extend to others. I love that Jesus was even thinking about this and literally praying about this on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. And I love that Stephen was following Jesus' example. The first person we see killed um, for their faith in the scriptures is Stephen. In Acts 7, it says, And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. 
And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He's hoping that maybe they'll come around. Jesus is hoping maybe on the other side of all this, the reason he's dying is going to pay off and they're actually going to be forgiven and follow him. Stephen's thinking the same way. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the story of Philemon. And if you didn't take my advice and go just read that short little book, it's, it's one chapter. You can handle it in a couple minutes. You should do it today. It's a great story. I love it. But basically, in a nutshell, here's how it went. Philemon was a guy that was a friend of Paul. They actually helped start a church together, him and Paul and him and some others. And then Philemon had this slave, um, the polite word that some versions say is bondservant. Back then, it's a totally different thing than what we called slavery in America. I always want to clarify that. Uh, but it, he, he owned him legally. It's kind of like being in the military. You can't just leave. You know what I'm saying? That's how it was back then. But Onesimus, his slave, left. And so he gets thrown in prison where Paul is also in prison and Paul leads him to the Lord. And when he finds out all the, what a small world it is, he writes a handwritten note and that's what we still call the book of Philemon today. And he tells Onesimus when he's set free, he says, listen, the right thing for you to do is to go back to him, but take this with you. And in that note, he tells Philemon, listen, this guy's coming back and I know he deserves more punishment and I know you own him legally and all this, but listen, You need to receive him back. You need to forgive him and not just forgive him. You need to do it the Christian way. He says, receive him no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. You're going to set him free even. Why? Because mercy and restoration in God's mind, in Christianity's mind, is that on the other side of this thing, things are better. It's not that you forgive them and don't make them pay. On the other side, there's something better than everything was before it all happened. Is this making sense so far? Praise God. Matthew West, several years ago, came out with an album where he invited people to write their stories and send them in. And, And then he wrote songs based on all those stories. One of my favorites on that album is called Forgiveness. And it's the true story of a woman named Renee Napier and a guy named Eric Smallridge. Eric Smallridge uh, uh, had been a drunk driver who killed her 20-year-old daughter. And he was sent to prison for it. But in her processing this and her working through this, she felt like she needed to forgive him. And and to forgive him in the, the biblical sense where she didn't just set him free On the other side, there's got to be something better. And in the process, she noticed one of the most important things that you'll notice when you do forgive somebody is you're the first person that gets set free. You're the one that you release first. The chains fall off of you first and you're free no matter what they do. Because it's just like God's grace and just like his mercy. It's regardless of whether they deserve it or not. It's, It's regardless of what they deserve. But when you extend forgiveness, you get free. But what she, what she didn't expect was the transformation in both of them. They ended up becoming friends. She ended up like campaigning to get him out of prison on parole faster than he ever would before. They ended up working together against drunk driving, being a team. It just blew everybody's mind. I love this lyric from Matthew S.'s song. He says, so let it go. 
and be amazed is what you see through eyes of grace. The prisoner that it really frees is you. So we start with grace and we share mercy and then we serve in peace. And I got to clarify that one too because most of the time when I hear the word peace in English, I'm thinking about a feeling and that's really not what it is or an absence of complete, there's just a complete lack of conflict. I never see that either. But this kind of peace is the kind of peace that Jesus gives. It's, it's more like that same love idea, that same mind idea. It's the kind of peace that happens when everybody chooses to work together, chooses not to fight and spend all that energy that we would have spent trying to be selfish and trying to get other people to say what we want them to say and do what we want them to do and meet our needs and try to manipulate them and make that happen. Instead of that, we spend all that energy working together toward a common goal. And when that happens, we we experience a kind of peace that nobody else gets to experience unless they choose that road. That's why Jesus said, peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. He actually spoke a lot about peace and every single time he's honest and practical with it, just like he is there. Here's a couple more. I have said these things to you that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So many times we, we, we make the mistake of understanding that line, I have overcome the world that, okay, good. So now I'll never have any more conflict. Now I'll never have any more trouble. Everything's going to be smooth sailing now. But literally one sentence earlier, Jesus himself says, no, in this world, you will have tribulation. So take heart in that tribulation because I've already overcome the world. What he's telling us is, look, worst case scenario, you die and go to heaven. Worst case scenario, you've spent everything on something that's eternal and it's going to outlast anything you could ever spend your life on on this planet. Worst case scenario, even though God can and does heal often, even though God can and does restore relationships often, even though when we live God's way, when we live this stuff out, we experience a kind of lifestyle here on this planet that's completely different than everybody else's and so much more full and only Jesus can give us that. Even though that's also true, worst case scenario, he's still overcome the fear of death and all the other things that everybody else has tore up with. So we can have peace, sometimes even a feeling, but we can have definitely this peace of no matter what, we're going to work together to get this done. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. If you remember, God loved us so much, he sent Jesus to do what? To die for us. Remember he came, he died, he rose. Remember that thing? Okay, let's try this one more time. God loved us so much, he sent Jesus to die. And he says, 
As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. But in the midst of that, there's peace. This kind of peace. Memorial Day is a good time to think about this kind of stuff because we live in a world where sometimes, as crazy and counterintuitive as it sounds, sometimes we have to fight for peace. We have to actually put in extra work, extra conflict, trying to create the peace that we're talking about here. We have to go to the extra mile to share grace and mercy and all that and create this peace. And in the world outside of the church, sometimes you literally have to fight. Again, um, none of us would be here or at least be speaking English or free to worship Jesus if we would have lost World War II. And one of the cool things that that ended up winning it was D-Day. And I guarantee you, those guys, as they were running into battle, they were not feeling peaceful. They were not reassuring each other, don't even worry, we're we're, we're the good guys, it's not even gonna hurt. They knew better. In fact, I'd like to share with you a little bit of uh, President Eisenhower's speech that he gave them right before they went into battle. He said, in company with our brave allies and brothers in arms and other fronts, you will bring about the destruction of the German war machine, the elimination of Nazi tyranny over the oppressed peoples of Europe and security for ourselves in a free world. See the idea of unity found in a shared purpose? And he goes on, your task will not be an easy one. Your enemy is well-trained, well-equipped, and battle-hardened. He will fight savagely. Sounds a lot like the pep talk that Jesus gave us just a second ago. In fact, if you just keep reading in the scriptures, you'll see things like Paul in Ephesians 6 telling us that we have to wear the armor of God. That everywhere we go, we have to surround ourselves with truth. That all this stuff we've been walking through the last several weeks about what God calls right, what God calls good and righteous, that's front and center. That, that's, that's where we are. It protects our hearts. It's the first thing people see as we come anywhere. That we wear the helmet of salvation. We take up the shield of, the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit that our feet are prepared with the readiness that comes when you have the gospel of peace. And yet, what do you wear armor for? Battle. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, Paul says, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. But it's still a battle. And let me tell you something. Your task, with Eisenhower's words, your task will not be an easy one. Your enemy is well-trained, well-equipped, battle-hardened, and he will fight savagely. We've got to be united. We've got to keep the armor. We've got to help each other. I try not to, but I, but, but I, I, I have to talk about Desmond Doss. How many have heard me talk about Desmond Doss earlier? Yeah, yeah, okay. So there you go. And the rest of you, here it comes. You'll probably hear it again. This is one of my biggest heroes. I love this guy. He himself, in his own words, said after World War II, after he served and was awarded all the things he was awarded, he said the real heroes were the ones who were buried there. The real heroes were the ones who gave up, made the ultimate sacrifice. But Desmond Doss was the first conscientious objector whoever received the Medal of Honor, which is the highest military honor that there is. And the reason was, is he had taken a vow as a child that he would never kill anyone, and he refused to touch a rifle. 
But he enlisted voluntarily. He wasn't drafted. He enlisted because he wanted to help with the war and he enlisted as a medic. They almost kicked him out of the armed forces because of how weird that was. And they all thought he was a coward. He actually went through a whole lot of abuse by his fellow soldiers. But when they finally got to battle, the very first battle they had was the Battle of Okinawa. It was in Hacksaw Ridge in Okinawa. And there's a movie about that as well. And, uh, but when they got there, all these people who had been abusing him were just sure that he's just a complete waste. They had to retreat and they sent in airplanes and they just kept up up on the ridge and they just kept strafing the place all night long. But the only person who wouldn't come back down the hill was Desmond Doss. He stayed up there and he just kept walking through, ducking all the bombs that were still falling and everything. And he saved over 75 people single-handedly. And he'd drag them over and then he'd lower them down on a rope down this cliff. He even tried to save some of the Japanese people. Just went all night long. They they said later they they thought he was a coward. Turns out they were wrong about that one. We're starting to come around the corner here, starting to wrap up. But if you remember, there are five things. Anybody remember? Grace, try it with me. Grace, mercy, peace, truth, love. Here we are at truth. Just like mercy... We've been given truth and we we share that with others. Most of us in the world today are told that we're supposed to create our own truth and then make everybody else bend to that. But, but, But what really needs to happen is we all, every one of us, every person, especially Christians, we hear the truth of God and we adapt ourselves and our worldview to that. That's where we get that same mind, that same love. But once we know the truth, we share it. And speaking the truth and living it out displays real, healthy love. And, the, and, and we speak the truth in two ways. One is evangelism. That has to happen. Jesus went back up. That, the story goes, he came, he died, he rose, he ascended. And in between he ascended and he's coming back, he left us in charge. That's one thing that really confuses me about Jesus. I'm not sure that I would have left me or any of the rest of us in charge, but he did. And in that moment where we have to share the truth, that's, that's what we're supposed to be about. But a lot of the stuff in the scripture is talking about sharing truth. It's not about trying to get the rest of the world to follow God's rules. It's helping each other do that. I'd like to share a little bit of that first. Is anybody, do you know who E.M. Tongi is? Nobody? Okay. I'm just, I love music, period. But uh, he just won American Idol. He's the new latest American Idol. And you will hear from him later, I guarantee, because this guy can sing. He's the guy on the right. Amazing. Beautiful voice. Beautiful. Very talented. And just won the whole thing. But he tried out a couple years ago and never even got the golden ticket. Never even got to square one. And his dad, who's on the left there, he, he sat him down and he said, listen, I believe in you. I believe in your talent. I believe in your potential. I believe that you could not only win this thing, you're going to make a difference in the world. People are going to be listening to you and buying your records forever. If you put in the work, you're going to have to practice. You're going to have to hone your craft. You're going to have to do that. He started working with him all the time and helping him get better. A couple of years later, here he comes 
wins the whole thing. And I promise you, you're going to hear from a beautiful, beautiful voice. But that's how it works. When we speak the truth in love, it's just like the forgiveness in God's world. When we speak the truth in love, there's a hope on the other side that things are going to get better, that, that we don't just forgive the person, that on the other side, they're going to be more like Jesus, and so will we. The relationship is going to get better. And when we speak the truth in love, it's not just that we're just being nice. It's because we love them so much, because we believe in them so much, we're, we're speaking the truth. Second Timothy 3.16, we went through this quite a bit several times, but notice that this one is talking to believers. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And when Paul writes to the Ephesians, he's talking about how God's plan is that we grow up and little by little, we become more and more like Jesus as individuals and as a union. And he says, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. I don't know how many of you guys are watching The Chosen, but there's a line in there that's not actually in the Bible, but it sounds a lot like something Jesus would say. Uh, this guy comes to him and he tells Jesus, uh, I, I appreciate the miracle you did for me, but I'm not, I just can't follow you. I just can't put my faith in you. I'm sorry. And Jesus says a line that, uh, it's one of my favorites in the series. It's not an actual Bible verse that they worked in there. But he, he says, you know what? He says, I, I, I require a lot from the people who follow me. I don't require much from the people who don't. And I think that's something we should always keep in mind. Our job as evangelists is to constantly be an inviting people into the family, into Christ, into the gospel, into experiencing him, into experiencing love, into this, everything else that he's calling us into and transforming us in. We've got to constantly invite them in there, not police them before they ever do. I think that's very important. Colossians 3.16, we memorized that just a little bit ago. I'd like you to try that if you, if you need help. It's, it's right there. But again, notice, this is to us. This is to us Christians. This is what we're inviting people into. But right this second, it's us who are here already. Let the word of Christ, say, say it with me if you would. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So that's the last one. Show Christ's love. All this that we talked about is the way Christ loves us, the kind of love that God showed us by sending his son to die for us, the kind of love that demonstrates grace, mercy, peace, truth, and love all of the above all the time. Would you try that one with me one more time? I really want you to remember this. Okay, let's try this one more time. Grace, mercy, peace, truth, love. But Christ's love, agape love, that Paul and several others describe throughout the rest of the New Testament, what defines it is it's not about you at all. 
Every other kind of love, brotherly love, romantic love, every other kind of love is so easy to, to make about you, but agape love can't be made about you. It's the kind of love you just offer to others. It's, not, it's the opposite of selfish. It's the opposite of, of conceit. It's, it's the opposite of trying to get your needs met. It's 100% focused on meeting the needs of others. That's God's kind of love. Another thing we looked at just really recently was Revelation 3.16. And I, I, I really do believe what I share with you is the truth. If I'm wrong, I need to be proven wrong. And I, I'm, I'm open to that. But I really believe that in light of history, uh, what we now know about Laodicea in general, and that verse was written to them in a letter, but also just in the whole scripture, you never see anywhere but here, supposedly, a lot of people believe it says this. This is why I don't. You never see God saying, I'd rather you be lost than follow me half-heartedly. My, my favorite is that you follow me with passion. Second best, you don't follow me at all. Third best, you kind of follow me. You never see that. What you see is, I wish you would follow me. You're not following me enough. Come on in a little deeper. Here we go. That's what you see everywhere else in scripture. And what we know about Laodicea is they were known in that time for having lukewarm, gross water. And they were known for being right in between places that had really hot, good water and really cold, fresh water. And I believe what Jesus is telling them is, I wish that you would be cold. I wish you'd be refreshing and good and wholesome, life-giving. Or I wish you would be hot, just healing and refreshing and soothing. You can't just be lukewarm. See, in Laodicea, here's one more thing I didn't even share with you the other day, but I think this is important. They had the technology to make their lukewarm water hot. Everybody who'd had fire always had that. They also had the technology to make ice. That's another thing they were known for. They, had, they were really advanced, really rich community, and they could actually make ice. So if they were giving you their lukewarm, nasty water, they were just being lazy, And it was considered an insult. If you went to Laodicea and they gave you lukewarm water, it wasn't just gross that you felt insulted because they could heat it up or they could ice it down. And they just weren't. Brothers and sisters, you know the one place where you can get supernatural levels of grace, mercy, and peace, and truth, and love? Jesus Christ. And guess who has access to that? And if we're not sharing that, we're just being lazy because we've got it to share. 1 John 3, 16 to 18. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, with, with actions and in truth. Here's one more finger counting exercise for you. Remember what Jesus left us with when he went, ascended and before he comes back? Go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all the things I've commanded. And I'll be with you always till the end of the age. That's what we need to be about. 
We're going to close this morning with one more quick thing from Desmond Doss. People ask him, how did you do it? And he said, I was praying the whole time. That's a quote. And here was his prayer. He said, he just kept saying over and over, Lord, please help me get one more. He'd get one, drag him through, duck all the stuff, lower him over the side, pray that prayer. Lord, help me get one more. And I don't know, I don't know where you're coming from this morning, how scary that sounds to you to reach out with grace and mercy and peace and truth and love and know that you've got supernatural levels of it to share, but it still feels scary. But I beg you to try and pray that prayer. Just try. Reach out to one. And if and when God helps you reach that one, pray for one more. We can all do that. We're going to stand. We're going to sing. As always, I, I ask you to make a choice in your heart toward God. And if you'd like to make a public decision, if you'd like to make a big thing happen, let us know about it. Please come to the front and share that with us. But we're all going to sing. We're all going to worship. And we're going to ask Jesus to help us live this stuff out.